Love Talk Radio. Welcome, welcome, one and all, to another edition of the official Redbird Rants podcast. I am your host, Tito Rivera, and I am joined tonight by one of our contributors, Christian May Suzuki. He's coming back from a small absence. So, Christian, how are you doing tonight? Uh, I'm doing great, Tito. Uh, I mean, despite the Cardinal loss, but it's great to be back on the podcast. Yeah, man, it's great to have you back. And, uh, we are definitely excited here because it is opening day. Uh, now it's, I guess, transitioned into opening night. But either way, it's the first day for baseball, and we are super excited about that. Unfortunately, the Cardinals did not come away with the win today, but we'll get into that here in a little bit. But first, we're going to go ahead and get started with some scores around the league so that you guys can get caught up and – We'll start with the Minnesota Twins and Baltimore. Baltimore ended up winning 3-2 and 11. Houston beat Texas 4-1. The Yankees went on to win 6-1. Giancarlo Stanton, of course, we know him, hit two home runs today, and they were no doubters. Tampa Bay came back and beat Boston 6-4. Chicago ended up beating Miami 8-4. And looks like San Francisco is now leading 1-0 or has been leading 1-0, and they're in the bottom of the ninth against the Dodgers, and Clayton Kershaw is supposed to take that loss if they can hold that lead, so we'll see how that one turns out. And other scores wrapping up are Oakland over Angels 6-5, to Milwaukee over San Diego 2-1, to Atlanta over Philadelphia 8-5, to and the Chicago White Sox putting a pounding on Kansas City 14-7. to uh, Christian, does anything stand out to you with those scores? Um, well, one thing that wasn't mentioned particularly with the scores, but um, a game by an individual player today, um, his name is Matt Davidson, the DH for the Chicago White Sox. He went 3-4 yes. today with three homers yes. and one walk. So, I mean, that's definitely a, I mean, just because Giancarlo Stanton is the big name doesn't mean he should overshadow the day. I mean, and clearly absolutely. from a number standpoint. From a number standpoint, I think that this man had the best day today, so I, I got to give a quick shout-out to him. Absolutely, and if you guys are into fantasy baseball, um, you might want to watch out for Matt Davidson here in the next couple of days because if he rides this hot streak, you, there's no telling uh, what they could do. And, and, and props to the Chicago White Sox, Sox. They ended up hitting six home runs on the day, so that's very significant. But let's go ahead and get into some of the news today. And, boy, what an opening day it was to begin the day for the St. Louis Cardinals. And we're going to go ahead and jump right into the news that the Cardinals and pitcher Greg Holland have come to an agreement for a one-year $14 million deal. Uh, I know the physical was pending, uh, and that's being done tonight, but I don't expect any hiccups. Christian, the unexpectedness of this signing blows my mind. I'm not sure what to make of it, and I've been thinking about it all night. What's your reaction to this signing at this moment, or this late in the game? You know, it's actually kind of funny because I was having a discussion with my dad, who's also a big Cardinal fan, last night. And I was sort of updating him about the whole Jordan Hicks thing. And I was saying something like, man, I can't believe Greg Collin is not going to be signed when the MLB season starts and he's like, yeah. and my dad's like, yeah, it's looking like it. And yet, yeah, here we are. And suddenly Greg Holland is the closer for the Cardinals. Um, I'm actually quite happy about it. Um, I know me and fellow contributor Larry have been on the Greg Holland bandwagon for quite some time. Uh, <clears throat> I wrote an article a while back about Greg Holland being the closer we need probably towards the beginning of free agency. So, I mean, it it definitely makes sense with the way everything played out. The fact that he sort of got – he rejected a very large contract offer. I believe it was 
three years, $58 million toward the beginning of free agency, and then no one chirped from – you never heard a chirp from him again because I think teams were just scared off by paying a 31-year-old closer that kind of money uh, at that kind of age. But getting him at one year, um, I believe – I mean, that is the best thing the Cardinals could have asked for. I mean, the only thing that was really holding them back from signing – Holland was the the age factor and the risk factor that comes along with a, a closer, and I mean, just with a one year deal, that's essentially canceled out. So I mean, I'm really really happy with Holland because he really I think is not only a, a great pitcher, but he can also be a veteran leader. And we haven't had a combination like that in the bullpen for a decent amount of time. Right, and and I think one thing to definitely take note of is the fact that Holland turned down the qualifying offer of $17.1 million from the Rockies. He also turned down a $15 million option with the Rockies and signs for just a meager, a meager $1 million less with the Cardinals. And I think the biggest obvious takeaway here is that the Cardinals' bullpen becomes that much stronger. I mean, when you can fire out Dominic Leone, Luke Gregerson, Jordan Hicks, and Greg Holland, that's pretty dangerous. Um, there's not a lot of room for error, as we saw today, and we'll get to that here in a little bit. Um, but having that presence in Greg Holland, I think, really puts that really puts the Cardinals in in the driver's seat uh, of bullpens in the in the National League Central. And sure, yeah, they lost a draft pick, and I think I read somewhere it would be the 43rd pick in the draft. Okay, that's fine. That's not that big of a deal to me. Uh, But this move shows that the Cardinals are in a win-now mode. Uh, Slightly, I guess I should say. Maybe a year is not a big telltale, or, you know, a telltale sign of winning now, but it's a step in the right direction. Wouldn't you agree? Uh, Yeah. I mean, I definitely think that unquestionably this is a move to shore up a sort of a team right now. I think the Cardinals are sort of, they are definitely trying to win now, but I think obviously with the somewhat the general pacificity throughout the off season, I think, I mean, with the young talent, I think that they, they want to win now, but they also understand that there's no need to Brett Cecil us again and bog us down with these long-term veteran con- contracts because if they, if they don't work out, we have these up-and-coming guys who could try next year and then the year after that. And any one of those years, those guys could suddenly, something could click and they could figure it out and suddenly they're, they're the guy. And I think the Cardinals understand that. But at the same time, they're unquestionably trying to win now. I mean, they're not a team that's ever been a hard rebuilding team. There's never been a team that's been a tanking team. It's always mm-hmm. been sort of a, an attempt. There's, there's never that mentality. It's a sort of a, not a rebuild, but a retool. And I think that they're just continuing to uh, exhibit that with this move. Exactly. And so for, you know, Cardinal fans listening around now or later on in the in the show, you know, Greg Holland is, again, pending physical, more than likely is going to pass that physical, how they are going to transition his arm into the into the bullpen in the next coming days. That's still to be determined. But you would have to guess that he'll get some action here within the next two weeks. Um, It just depends on where his arm is. And, and that's something to, to keep an eye on. Um, you don't just want to rush him out there just because it's Greg Holland. Uh, you got to see whatever he has and what kind of velocity he has at this point. My hopes is that he's kept his arm strength up, and I, I'm pretty sure that's what I've read from Derek Gould. Um, so, you know, it, time will tell with him. But I think it, this is the, the right move. It helps a guy like Jordan Hicks in particular to, to be around somebody like Greg Holland if, in fact, the Cardinals are grooming Hicks to be the closer of the future. And, and that's something that cannot be, you know, understated. Um, sure, Luke Gregerson probably could have done that, but he's hurt. So he's not even around right now. Um, uh, and one thing 
speaking of that, they still have to make room for Greg, Greg Holland on the roster. I have not seen any news regarding that move. Have you, Christian? Uh, no, I have not actually seen anything like that either. They haven't really right. announced and anything. So, and, and I'm assuming it, when they announce, you know, the official signing of Greg Holland and once he passes his physical, we'll, we'll know. But you would have to guess somebody is going off the, you know, the 25-man roster here soon. And, and my guess, and I think everybody's guess, is probably Bud Norris. Uh, do you think that's, that's a fair assumption, Christian? Uh, I mean, he's kind of the, the sore thumb and all, and not just the pitching staff, but the entire lineup. I mean, there's no reason to not think that he's the one that's going to go. Right. I, I, I just don't, I don't see him staying on this team and, and I'll say it for, for some of us. I was a big advocate of, of not signing him in the first place, and, and when he was signed, I just was completely dumbfounded by it, and I, I didn't understand it at all. Um, but now that I think about it, do you think there was a little buyer's remorse when it comes to Bud Norris, considering what they were able to land Greg Holland for? Um, yeah, I think it's, it's a little bit of that. I think that Norris was also sort of a – oh, my God, we have to do something, so let's just throw our money out at somebody that might be decent. And because I'm obviously, until just recently, they weren't sure that they were able to get Greg Holland. And they obviously have professed, just as uh, Cardinal fans have professed throughout all last season, that the bullpen was an issue and that the bullpen needed to be improved. And, I mean, that's what they attempted to do, even in the most minimalist sense like they would with the Cecil deal. Um, obviously, it wasn't as painful because, I mean, we're going to be able to dump it off too. If he does, I, if he does miraculously make it through, um, I definitely don't see him getting past, say, Alex Reyes coming up in, I would hope, in the next couple of months or something like that. So, I mean, even if he miraculously passes through this, there's no way he's, going to be on the roster halfway through the season. Right. And it's just, uh, again, a matter of time with Alex Reyes. And this does present an intriguing thing about Alex Reyes, though. Most of what we were told or what we were led to believe suggests that Alex Reyes was to come out of the bullpen because the front office wants to limit his innings. They don't want to push him too fast. And and then by next season, he's going to be a starter. With the signing of Greg Holland, though, that starts to kind of make, send some mixed signals about what Alex Reyes' role actually will be with the team, in my opinion. Um, do you get the sense that Alex Reyes' role will change with the Greg Holland signing? Um, honestly, from what I've read, but I, from what I've seen, I've, um, they have been thinking about Alex Reyes as a, a future starter, a future long-time starter. Um, right. I, I personally, with a 100-mile-hour fastball power curve, I mean, I would have personally put him as – I mean, he could, he could easily have been a closer prospect, and he would be a great eighth-inning guy himself. But with Greg Holland added into the mix, I mean, it essentially confirms – that Reyes, they're looking at Reyes as a starter, and that's what he will be. Because at this point, there's like there's just no more room for him in the bullpen without someone else having to take a back seat. Right, and I completely agree with you. So uh, again, this is going to be an interesting time for Alex Reyes and the St. Louis Cardinals as they move forward with Greg Holland. Um, but you can uh, pencil down for Greg Holland ending ninth inning for most of your games at this point. You know, at one point we thought it was going to be Dominic Leone. Um, you know, I'm sure earlier in the offseason we thought it was just going to be Luke Gregerson. Um, but I, I would imagine so that the the pecking order for when it comes to games is going to be Hicks in the seventh, Leone in the eighth, or those two flip-flops, and then Greg Holland in the ninth which isn't a bad thing because, you know, obviously Leon and Hicks have shown that they can handle the pressure 
Um, and especially today with the way Hicks looked, um, you can't go wrong with either of them in the seventh or eighth inning. But uh, the, the veteran Holland will take the ninth inning, in my opinion, um, and that's just pure out of closer experience. But, again, he's going to serve as a mentor to Hicks, um, whether most of us like it or not, or we're, whether most of us saw Hicks as a starter or want him to be a starter. So, with that being said, let's go ahead and get into a recap of the St. Louis Cardinals game versus the Mets. This was game one of 162. And, of course, we all know at this point that the Cardinals ended up losing 9-4. to four. Noah Syndergaard gets the win, and Carlos Martinez gets the loss. I think, Christian, the big story of today is, one, Carlos Martinez's walks, and really the pitching surrendering so many walks, and the Cardinals striking out so many times. What, what did you take away from today's game? Uh well, in terms of the striking out thing, I think from really from the moment the game started, I think the team was like almost overly aggressive at the plate. They were swinging away. And, I mean, as we see on the box score, I mean, it leads to 15 strikeouts. And there was a comment in the Redbird Ranch chat that we had um, that was something like, oh, our only chance, is to try and get Syndergaard early. And as he was, as that was said, I think it was someone, I think it might've been Fowler swung on the second or third pitch of the at-bat and that was it. And it was just, that was kind of the story of the game in my eyes. I mean, obviously it worked out with a couple of people like, I mean, Jose Martinez, he, he certainly saw the ball. Well, he only took 11 pitches. He, he jumped on what he saw and everything, but, um, it was definitely, definitely. Uh, I think they needed to sort of sit back a little bit. Um, I mean, obviously, if Syndergaard's on, there's nothing you can do. But I think that they sort of needed to relax a little bit, sort of make Syndergaard pitch, um, and you know, sort of sit back and take it a little bit more because they were just kind of flailing their bats and it wasn't working. And yeah, and that might have been the game plan, you know. Syndergaard has obviously a, a high velocity or high speed fastball, and so that makes it makes it easier to be a free swinging team. Um, let, let's talk a little bit about Carlos Martinez's start. Uh, unfortunately, obviously, it did not go the way we wanted it to go. But listen to this stat line: four point one innings, four hits, five runs, four earned runs, six walks, five strikeouts, for an ERA of eight point three one. The obvious thing that stands out here is is the walks. Last year, his inconsistencies early on in the game cost him to go deep into innings, and we see it here again. Christian, what do you think needs to happen for him to be able to get past this hump? I mean, it's it's really hard to say right now because, I mean, if you – really looked at what was going on with that game. I mean, it was every, it wasn't like, it seemed like something was off mechanically. Didn't seem like it was like there was any sort of pinpoint thing that you could really point out. It was just, he was just missing. Sometimes there would be one pitch. He would throw a beautiful two seam fastball that would break in toward the off right toward the corner and then he would miss three more fastballs and walk the guy or something like that. I mean, at the end of the day, it's, it's hard to really say that there's anything that the coaching staff can do at this point. I mean, it's, as far as I'm concerned, it's really on him, especially as the leader of the rotation. It's, it's, he has got to cut it down. It's, it's got to come from himself. He's really got to look at himself, understand where his position is as a team leader and as a leader of the rotation and what is expected of him and what is acceptable. And he really needs to cut down whatever it is that's not acceptable. And I'm sure he knows what it is. So it's, it's, it's really time to put up or shut up for him. And, and I think most of us agree, and I think a lot of people will say, well, it's just one start. But, again, I go back and say, you know, this was a problem last year. You know, he couldn't get hardly get to the sixth inning, and, and when he did, that was it. 
because by the time he reached the sixth inning, he was already at 90-something pitches. And, and it was again, it was the same kind of thing today. He, he hit 90 pitches in 4.1 innings. That is a lot for such a short game for him. And, he, and, you know, if he is going to be the leader of the staff, as you say, he needs to push past that. And it, it starts with the walks. That's, that's really what it comes down to. You, you cannot be walking six guys. You can't be walking guys with two outs and expect to win games. Because I tell you what, I, and I wrote about this in an article recently about the lineup needing to score runs. Last year, the Cardinals scored somewhere right around 4.3, 4-point-something runs. That's really where they're at right now, and that should be good enough to win games because most of the teams in the playoffs last year scored right around 4.7, 4.8. So if the Cardinals are going to be a team like that and score about four runs a game, somewhere close to five, Martinez needs to be able to pitch well enough to be able to get that win. Because look, at the end of the day, he only gave up four earned runs. He just couldn't get past the, he couldn't get past the, uh, the fifth inning. And then in comes Bowman. Third of an inning pitch, three hits, three runs, three earned, one walk. That's not good enough. Cecil, one hit, part, part of a, he didn't give up a run, but one of the hits he gave up to Jay Bruce, a left-handed, uh, left-handed batter, that scores a run. Mayers comes in, does his thing. Hicks comes in, does his thing. Then Tuivalala gives up a run. It, it just seemed to me that the pitching, the, the pitching was not good until the very last three innings of the game. And if that's going to be the case this season, that is not good enough. And perhaps that's why they got Greg Holland because they want to shorten the game for their pitchers. But for a pitcher like Carlos Martinez to only go 4.1 innings in the first start, not good enough in my opinion. And, and, and that's, that's just that's where it is with him. He needs to improve. And, and again, I, I know you probably think the same thing here along with me, Christian. This is just the first game, but it cannot become a pattern. It cannot become a habit at this point. Wouldn't you agree? I mean – that's definitely – it really needs to – like I said, it, it, he has to put up soon because, I mean, at the end of the day, he's not like a young kid anymore. He, he is starting to get older. He's starting to be, get to that point where, like, the age is not an excuse for immaturity. The age is not an excuse for the lack of awareness. I mean, just the fact that six walks is not his career high should tell, really tell you something about exactly where he's at i mean as a number one starter like i think if you think about this these are two teams that are potential wildcard teams this could potentially be the first wildcard game right you can't you carlos can't do this this is this this is where we would end if carlos did something like this and it's it, it as an, I mean, he is the number one guy. If he was the number three guy, if he's the number four guy, you know, if he if he had if he pitched, you know, maybe nine hour floaty little no break fastballs, then sure, yeah, you can get away with like you can get away with you know six walks, whatever, once in a while. But you are an supposed to be an elite talent who has been groomed to be a number <clears throat> a number one starter with elite stuff. There is absolutely no excuse to be missing, to be dodging the zone or anything like that. There is no excuse. You should be attacking the zone. You should be getting in there. You should be getting people out with your nasty stuff. There is no excuse. And that's the expectation that he should have for himself because that's the expectation that all Cardinals fans and that, hell, even Mike Matheny has for him. Right. And, and before we take our first break and, and continue on with this conversation, I just have one more question for you. Um, you know, our, our co-contributor, our co Josh, you know, said he was listening to Bernie Miklas and, and seeing, you know, one of the questions asked to Bernie Miklas this morning was, is who is the first, you know, cardinal everybody's going to turn on? And one of the names that was thrown out there was, was Carlos Martinez. And the, the topic of overreacting to the first start came up. Christian, what do you say to people? What do you say to people that 
are touting, oh, you're just overreacting to this star. He's going to be fine by the next time. I mean, I, I get it. But at the same time, those people have to understand this isn't just one start. This isn't just one time. Like, we have to understand that the fact that he looked like the same pitcher that he did last year, that is something that's telling. Now, obviously, there is a long season, and there is time for him to improve. So to say that the season's over or he he should be demoted as the number one or that, like, oh, he he's, you know, things like that. Yeah, sure, that's overreacting. But there's definitely no question that people should be upset and people should definitely keep their eyes open. People, There is no question that reacting in a way that's upset and that is doubtful of Martinez's ability is not, like, it, it doesn't just come from over. There's a reason for it. So I, 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 I kind of fall in the middle on this one. Yeah, and, and I think I I would feel the same way. I completely understand why people would say, "Oh, you're overreacting. It's just one start." But again, it, again, it's it's like you say. Has anything changed from last year to this year based off one start? No, he didn't have a good spring, and and that's just that's just the reality of today's game. So let's take a quick second to take a break. You're listening to the official Redbird Rants podcast. This is episode episode six. Stick with us. Okay, we're back with the official Redbird Rants podcast, episode six. This is Tito. I'm here with Christian May Suzuki. We had just got done talking about Carlos Martinez's start and the overall pitching of the St. Louis Cardinals and their loss to the Mets today. Let's go ahead and get, go into the lineup and how it actually performed. You know, we talked about the numerous amounts of strikeouts. Um, for instance, Dexter Fowler to Tommy Pham with a not-so-good day with three strikeouts. Marcelo Zuna, three strikeouts. De Jong, two. Wong, two. And I'm not going to really count Carlos Martinez. Um, I expect him to strike out most of the time. But guys, or I mean Christian, I should say, that's a lot of strikeouts for a lineup. And I think I hang my hat on they're not going to face a Noah Syndergaard every time. But if they're going to strike out 14 times a game, that is not a winning recipe, right? Yeah. Um, I I mean, you definitely can do that. And I, I'd like to make a little note. Someone who didn't strike out at all today and who had a hit and a run scored, uh, Matt Carpenter. I think Preach. that you were saying – you were saying that uh, Martinez was supposedly going to be the first player that ca- the Cardinals turn or that Cardinals fans turn on. I definitely think that you could argue that Matt Carpenter might be the first that player people turn on simply because of what he's doing and the role he's been put in. Um, I think sure. that if he, I think that I mean, people can argue with me about it all day, but I think that with his hitting ability if he commits to contact hitting he commits to watching the ball um he is one of the better contact hitters one of the better leadoff hitters um one of the better non-power hitters uh in the majors um and i mean i think that positioning him in the in the one spot would be much better than a guy who's a little more swing happy like dexter fowler who showed it with two k's today um but, hey, that's, that's just my – and then another thing is I know that obviously it worked out very well, but I do think that Paul DeYoung, you could argue, does deserve to move up a little bit so, so just solely off of the power potential. Um, obviously, Yachty is solid protection from, uh, for a back hitter like that. But, I mean, with the power of DeYoung, putting him so low with such little – base running potential. I mean, especially with a, with a guy like Yachty in front of him, I mean, if he doesn't hit that sinker, if he doesn't get that home run, it, it, it might be tough for him to really do anything. But uh, those are just sort of picking at little things that are more personal opinion. Um, but 
what do you I, I think I saw a tweet that you put out about this being the optimal lineup. So uh what what are your yeah. thoughts on that, Vito? Yeah, so I, I, I think at the initially when the opening day lineup was released, I, I looked at it and I said, Wow, now that is a lineup I can get behind, mainly because you have your first four hitters, your top first four hitters, and that's that's what you want. You've got Fowler, Fam, Carpenter, Ozuna. Great. It, it's re- it really comes down to that middle of the order, pretty much from three on down to seven. And, and, and to see Jose Martinez get the start, that was fascinating to me, um, mainly because we were, you know, Joe Trezza from MLB.com, you know, he said his projected lineup didn't even include Jose Martinez. Uh, so to see him in the lineup, that was great because – this entire spring, he's just been absolutely destroying the baseball. And, and case in point, today against one of the better pitchers, um, you know, you, you know, top definitely top five in the National League in Noah Syndergaard. And and then you see, you know, Molina in the traditional sixth spot. And even though he is more than likely going to hit fifth uh, most of the season, uh, followed by DeYoung and then Wong. I have always been an advocate of of seeing Paul DeYoung, you know, be higher in the order. The only issue I have with that is is his K rate, and that he does tend to strike out a lot. You know, he struck out twice today. Even though he got a hit, that's great. But he struck out twice, left a guy on base, uh, and so that's that's a very big issue if you're going to put him anywhere higher up than seven. And do I expect Paul DeYoung to hit seven all the time? No. I'm sure he'll get some opportunities to hit four, five, or six, um, and maybe even three sometimes when Carpenter is not going. Um, but the but the point in case here is is that you need to offer your lineup a chance to be the optimal lineup, and that means protection all around your players, your star players. Carpenter needs Ozuna. Azuna needs somebody behind him that can protect him. And more than likely, that is going to be Yadier Molina. Look what he did today. He hit another home run. Um, last year, he had 18 and had 82 RBIs. And if you're telling me that you wouldn't take that out of Molina this year, you're absolutely crazy. Do I think he's going to repeat it? No. But at the same time, I'm willing to bet that Molina is, still has that potential because he's been there before. And Paul DeYoung, you know, he's a sophomore at this. And so that high K rate is, is extremely high. And look who didn't strike out as well as Molina. He didn't have a K today. So I, I, I like the lineup. I like. I actually didn't mind how it performed. Again, I said it earlier today, four runs is, usually is good enough to win you ball game. But you can't win I mean again you can't win games giving up nine either throughout the entire or you know through the throughout throughout the entire pitching staff. But let's talk a little bit more about Jose Martinez's day. He's three for four, home run, two runs scored and two RBIs. That home run he hit was a shot. I mean it was gone. Like there was no doubt about it. Does the performance today mean he is a regular in the lineup for you, Christian? Uh, I mean, with the way he sort of trended, with how he performed last year, um, it's really hard to deny him a spot any longer, especially considering the age and the potential ceiling. The only issue is simply just the positions that he plays. Uh, There's just a lot of people there that the Cardinals don't particularly want to have on the bench regularly um obviously yorko yorko was uh was subbed out for martinez this time and carpenter moved to third base where uh as i've heard from many in the redmond rants writer chat he is not a very great defensive third baseman by any sense of the imagination um i think that it's just a matter of either finding that trade um it's a matter of someone slumping um, it's just sort of finding that excuse to sort of fit him in the lineup. But, I mean, as it, as it stands, I, I, I personally would see him, I could, would like to see him playing over Jorko on a, on a daily basis. 
but there's obviously that issue of putting Carpenter at, at third base. Um, but, uh, I mean, I just don't, I was Mike Matheny and his incredible lineup intellect and incredible lineup instability. Um, I, I just, I, I just don't, I don't see Martinez being a regular yet until someone decides someone starts slumping and Matheny just gets tired of that. Um, but until that happens, even though Martinez certainly deserves to be a regular, I, I, I just, I don't think I see it happening. Yeah. It's tough because I, I think with the way he's hitting, there's no question that you have to keep him in the lineup. Um, and, and until he cools off, in my opinion. And you have somebody like Jed Jerko that needs at-bats as well. Uh, the only option at this point, and, and this is something that I talked about on the podcast on Tuesday when we were talking with Ben Hockman of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch was, you know, will the Cardinals start to move to a platoon at second base and, and use Jed Jerko at second? Or, you know, to, to keep him fresh and keep Wong, you know, kind of on his toes. And I think if Jose Martinez is going to be a regular, you know, bat in the lineup, that's the only option they have. Otherwise, um, yeah, it's great to have Jed Jerko off the bench, uh, but that's kind of wasting him at that point because everybody's so high on his bat and, you know, everybody was like, oh, he hit 270-something last year. That's great. But he's a he, you know, he's not really any better than Wong with the bat. Besides more power, he's a career 245 hitter. So that's not nothing that really says, oh yeah, I need Jerko in the lineup. Versus Martinez, who's hit pretty much over, you know, 280 with the Cardinals in his limited amount of time here in St. Louis. So to me, it, it just makes sense to keep him in the lineup just because he adds that dimension. And, and to think. If Paul DeYoung did not strike out as much, that's exactly where he would be in the lineup, fifth. But you see Jose Martinez, who was another guy that didn't strike out today. He goes three for four, hits a home run, and, and you, have to, you have to wonder if, Mark, if Mike Matheny is smart enough to keep him in the lineup. And I, and I think we'll, we'll see him there again. So... Come Saturday, it might be different because, you know, you want to get Jed Jerko a chance to play. Um, you want to put Carpenter in his regular role at first base. So I totally get it. But when push comes to shove, I do expect Jose Martinez to get a majority of starts at first base now um, because he continues to hit the ball well. And, and that's just – and that's okay with me. And I, I think it should be okay with everybody else. Um, and and – and and that's not to say that Jed Jericho's a bad hitter, and I don't mean it to sound that way, but I, I'm not as impressed with other people. Uh, do you? Are you that impressed with Jed Jericho? I mean, I think you said it best. He as a for a, as a career, he has not had the the greatest you know trajectory. Besides last year, he's been a very mediocre hitter. I mean, one could argue that he was in San Diego and San Diego is like the Cleveland Browns of the NFL where offensive players come to die. Uh, but at the end of the day, he's a, like two, he's not even a two sixty hitter. And at the end of the day, in, in this day and age being, unless you're hitting like 40 home runs, like Chris Davis with a, both like either Chris Davis. Um, I mean, the, people like that are expendable in my eyes. Yeah. And, and so that's, that's kind of, it's, it'll be interesting to see where Mike Matheny goes with this. And I think there should be no worries or, or panic buttons being pressed. If, if Jed Jerko misses, you're not saying misses, but doesn't start three or four games in a row because Jose Martinez and the rest of the lineup are, are hitting well. Uh, but I do expect him to play on Saturday and I expect Carpenter to move back to first, and we should see Jed Jericho at third. Speaking of Matt Carpenter, um, I don't think he did too too poorly in the third hole today. 
He ended up hitting a nice double. He went one for four, scored a run. Um, That's what he's there to do. You said it yourself. He needs to return to the average guy that he was in 2013 and what he was in 2015. What do you expect out of Carpenter if he is to continue in the three-hole? I don't know. I mean, traditionally, you especially in today's MLB, I mean, the three hole is where your your big hitter is, your your best guy, your not only your your power guy, you know, and part of being in that three hole is the expectation that you have two guys in front of you who are decent enough base runners, who are decent enough getting on, and there's sort of this idea that you want to get the ball, drive the ball deep, and and sort of and drive them in. Um, I think, I mean, I, I'll, I'll preach it all day because I'm a huge proponent of it. But, I mean, the dude led the league in walks last year out of the one spot. I think that as a doubles hitter, as a guy who is able to get on base, I think he would be a, be- a better one hitter. Um, I think that obviously as a three hitter, he, he won't be um, – Obviously, won't be terrible, but I think a lot of that that walk drawing ability and the discipline that he has is sort of wasted in that three hole. Um, I think that a guy like Dexter Fowler, who doesn't have to really focus hard to hit, you know, fifteen, twenty, thirty home runs, or obviously I, I, a guy like Ozuna, who despite hitting four hole in his entire career, was brought to the Cardinals to be the guy, to be the number one hitter, to be the big guy. So I, I, while I'm not entirely upset with, well, obviously I am kind of upset with it because I think there are so many other potential options that are just simply better, and I think that Carpenter has wasted some of his potential, in ter- especially in the walking department, uh, in the three-hole. I think that he can obviously hit the ball very well. He has the ability to drive guys in, especially from, like, second or third base. Um, it's certainly not the worst option. But I think that having either Fowler there or Ozuna there uh, would be sort of more optimal. Yeah, and I, and I obviously disagree on this, and I have with many of people. And, and I will say that I don't really truly believe that Matt Carpenter's walk ability is wasted in the three-hole because you have somebody like Ozuna behind him that can – you know, strike strike very quickly with the home run, and all of a sudden, you know, the Cardinals are up two runs or they get two runs back or they take the lead because of a two-run home run. And and that's something that's really dangerous, uh, especially for teams, you know, not wanting to pitch to Ozuna because of that. And, and my, my, my thought process is, is, is exactly that, is that if they're afraid to pitch to Ozuna, Matt Carpenter is going to get a chance to hit. And if he is the hitter from 2013 and 2015, like he said he was going to be this year, you know, then you really cause problems for people. Now, the problem here lies with Tommy Pham. If he is on his road to regression, which by today's game you would say, yeah, that might be the case, that's when it becomes complicated because if he is not hitting, if Pham is not hitting, then it becomes an interesting scenario where they will bypass everything else to get to Tommy Pham to get that out. And all of a sudden, Matt Carpenter might not be hitting as well, and you might have to shift the lineup somewhat. And that and that's going to be interesting moving forward as well. Let's take another quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about one particular pitcher who – absolutely impressed today and that's young Jordan Hicks or as Ben Hockman likes to call him Jordan Hoosiers so you're listening to the official Redbird Brands podcast episode six season two stick with us okay welcome back to the official Redbird Brands podcast I'm Tito joined by Christian May Suzuki we just got done talking about the Cardinals lineup how they performed and our takeaways from the lineup in today's game but Christian, somebody really took the stage by storm today, and that was none other than Jordan Hicks. 
I don't know how much better you can get in your debut in the major leagues, but boy, did he look good, right? I mean, there's a reason that the Cardinals said that he uh, was one of the only untouchable prospects uh, of this offseason in terms of trading for uh, Stanton. Uh, And he certainly showed why today. He didn't go under 100 miles an hour on his fastball all game. Uh, He showed decent control on both the heater and his breaking balls, more so than Carlos Martinez, who's supposed to be our number one guy. But that's uh, that's that's another discussion. That's Um, neither here nor there, right? (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Uh, I mean, 100-mile-an-hour-plus fastball, uh, not only that, it had some pretty decent sinking action. There was a, a decent amount of break. It was noticeable. Uh, I'm sure the batter it was certainly noticeable from the uh, the broadcast. Um, I think that if you can just keep it in the zone, I mean, I think it was some. You, you don't really see 100 mile an hour fastballs with sink. You don't see even 98 or 96 very often with with the kind of sink that we saw today. And I mean, if he can keep it, if he can keep his composure, if he can keep his control down. I mean, he doesn't have to – he doesn't even have to hit the strike zone all the time. As long as he stays close, I mean, that's something that, that – that's definitely something to fear. Right, and, and listen to this pitch sequence he, he had with Jay Bruce to get the third out in his inning. First pitch he threw, 101.6, two-seam, a two-seamer, 101.6 fastball for a ball. <laughs> Then he follows that up with another 100.8 two-seamer for a strike, foul tip. Then he dials it down to an 86.4 mile per hour slider to get a strike, and then he dials it back up to 99.8 for a four-seam fastball up and away. Like you, you honestly, you can't get better than that. I mean, going from 100 down to 86, back up to 100, all in three consecutive pitches, that's something, as, as Ben Hockman would say, you cannot teach that. You just can't. I'm, there's no, I mean, there's that's no like, explanation. Go ahead. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the kind of thing that uh, I don't know if you remember a few years ago when – I don't know if it was a few years ago. It was pretty recently when Alex Reyes pitched at the, the U.S. First World, mm-hmm. and there was – a huge hoopla about how he threw 101 mile an hour fastball, then he threw 80 whatever mile an hour curveball, and I mean that's the kind of stuff that makes you a number one pro- the number one prospect. I mean Hicks certainly showed very very elite level potential stuff today, and there's no question that his I mean he could easily become the closer in the next several years if if need be. Yeah, and if he can harness those pitches, which it, <laughs> I mean, based on today, he definitely looked like he could do that. Uh, And that's the thing. If he's going to continue to be a fastball slider guy, that's great. However, we've seen that happen before with one other pitcher who was a fireball pitcher in Trevor Rosenthal. And what Trevor Rosenthal, in my opinion, always lacked was a changeup. And I'm not sure if Hicks has one in his repertoire, but I believe it would benefit Hicks to get a changeup, especially if you're throwing at 100 miles an hour. Because could you imagine a two-seam fastball coming in at 100 and all of a sudden a changeup coming in at 92? Man, your timing would be off. And then to throw a slider at 86.4, only to dial it back up to another 100-mile-an-hour fastball, that's pitching at an elite level, in my opinion. And as long as he has trust in his stuff, yeah, he's going to be an elite pitcher for the St. Louis Cardinals for many years to come. And and I know I keep saying that he's trade bait, he's trade bait, and I still believe in that, um, especially with them signing Greg Holland. But at at some point I'll quiet down and I'll say, you know what, nah, this guy needs to stay with the Cardinals because he's just that good. What do you think? Do you think this – showcase of Higgs might lead to something down the road? Um, I mean, it's it's tough to say. I mean, like I've been saying, the, the Cardinals seem to really, really value him. I mean, even though 
on many boards, he's not in the top five or even the top ten on some of the Cardinals' prospect boards. He was one of the only completely untouchable players. And, I mean, you can't, like I said, you, you, you can't just find these kind of pitchers, the kind of pitcher that Jordan Hicks is. You don't just find them on the, on, on the, on the streets. Right. Uh, you don't like just like you can't just like look around and be like, oh, look at that. I mean, this is a very, very unique picture we're talking about here. And mm-hmm. I mean, especially considering the performance he had here, if he can prove that he can consistently play on the ma- at the major league level, I mean, you would have to. I mean, if I were Jim, you'd have to give me a very good, very established major league baseball player to get him from me because a unique player like that with mm-hmm. the proper control and composure to play at an MLB level. I mean, I, I, that is in my eyes, that's one of the more priceless things you can imagine in this, in the league right now. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think, you know, I, I'm not meaning to say that if he's traded, it's going to be for, you know, pennies or whatever. You're right. He has to get, he has to be, a top guy. It, it just has to happen. And, and, and in my opinion, if he is to be traded, you're right. It has to be for an established person. And it just depends on what the Cardinals need is. It's no longer going to be a closer because they have that in Greg Holland. Um, but would it be for another bat that they could put in the three hole or another dangerous bat in the middle of the order? That's obviously a plausible, uh, plausible case as well. Um, so we'll, we'll see where it goes from here, but, but boy, what an impressive start to, uh, Jordan Hicks's career with the St. Louis Cardinals and there, you just can't really say enough about it. Um, and, and that's really, really it. So let's go ahead and get to our last topic for tonight. And and that's the NL central predictions. And, And maybe we'll say even the season predictions, you know, as we said, it's only game one, so I don't feel like we're uh, we're cheating here saying, oh, yeah, the Cardinals are going to go, you know, so-and-so for whatever. So uh, let's start with you, Christian. Where do you see – how do you see the standings in the Cardinals uh, for the NL Central? I mean, I honestly – if Greg Holland can perform at a level that he did last year, I mean – I think that this greatly impacts the Cardinals' chances of winning the division. Um, I think that obviously a lot of the issues last year were was were toward the end of the game, where a, the bullpen would sort of slip, would sort of give things away, and not mm-hmm. just in terms of blown saves, but just over like you know sixth, seventh, eighth of those innings, they would just be. You would always feel, even with a, a two, three, four-run lead, there would always be a subconscious sort of worry because the relievers were so inconsistent. And like sometimes you, I would be screaming at my TV, just throw a strike, right. and like that—that that was really sort of holding the Cardinals back a lot. And I think with all of these veteran pieces, with all of the you know, the talent and the composure that and the presence that has been added to the bullpen. Um, obviously, the talent has jumped significantly, but, I mean, I think that with this, you have a legitimate bullpen, which is really one of the bigger holes in comparison to the other uh, NL Central teams. Um, I think that they have one of now the deeper rotations in, in the NL Central, it might not be obviously with Carlos not playing very well. Um, you can argue that they're not as good up top as the other three teams, but in terms of pure depth, you, with especially with uh, a guy like Flaherty coming up soon, you know, um, I think that you could definitely argue that they're they're certainly going to be the deepest if not, if they aren't already. <laughs> And in terms of the lineup, they also filled the one real issue they had was that big central hitter that could command the middle of the lineup and hit home runs. Um, so, I mean, it might not be the best lineup, but I believe that it's complete enough in a way that everyone has the role, all the sort of 
prototypical roles of players have been filled. Everyone has, you know, it, this team sort of has all the elements on it necessary to be a successful team and to win a division. And while it's not, won't, it's not the most overwhelming team and it won't be certainly the best team, I think that with this, there's, there's enough there that they can really, really make a push. So, so what do you think the win total is for the Cardinals this year? Give us your best guess. The win, win total. I will go with the Greg Holland. I will go 95. You think the Cardinals will win 95 games this year? Will win 95 games this year, yes. That's, that's pretty high. I will admit that. I don't think I would go quite that high. I actually said that the Cardinals will probably end up with an 88-74 and 74 record. Um, obviously, I'm going to say that if you believe that the Cardinals are going to win 95 games, you definitely have them winning the division then, right? Uh, I mean, yeah, as, as I said, I think it'll be close. Um, I think the, the Cubs are certainly nothing to be trifled with, and I think that the, the Brewers are definitely – they're coming off a bit of an off year, but they have very, very good young pieces, um, and I think that they're, they're definitely ready to make the leap to really start competing. So I think that it'll be close, but I think the Cardinals will pull away by uh, maybe three to four games. Okay. Fair enough, and and I think the the central standings are going to go, you know, Cubs, Cardinals, Brewers, and then Pirates, Reds, or Reds, Pirates, because they're both bad and they're not going to be really a factor. Um, let let's let's go ahead and keep going with your predictions here. Do the Cardinals make you you obviously think the Cardinals will make the playoffs? Do you think they can get past the NLDS or the NLCS? Um, it, are they a top team? Essentially, are they a top team in the National League, and can they get to a World Series this year? You know, it's it's really hard for me to say as, as of today. You asked me if you asked me yesterday, I might have been able to say something, but I mean, with a they certainly added Greg Holland, but I mean, you you have to have a number one pitcher if you're going to get out of a short playoff series. And if, I mean, they there could either, like if Carlos Martinez starts a NLCS NLDS with six walk game and a loss, that's not only going to just be bad in general, but it's going to be a huge like morale dumpster on us, and that could easily single handedly completely collapse a team. So mm-hmm. if, if if Carlos can't get his his stuff together, I mean, there's you can't, I mean, I don't really have the confidence uh, in the team. I, I mean, they can certainly, I, this team is certainly tooled even without, even with an occasional blow up Martinez to win games. But I think when you come to a playoff series and you don't have a number one pitcher, it's, you, you, that's not a team you can trust. So if Carlos can get his stuff together and be the pitcher, even be, remotely close to the pitcher, just cut down the walk and be remotely close to the pitcher that you, you're supposed to be. I believe they can, they can get out of the NLDS. Competing with the top teams in, in the National League and competing with the very, very best, I'm not sure they're there yet, as I said before. They're not quite like at an elite talent level yet. But I certainly think that the Cardinals can... can uh, can definitely uh, put something together in terms of a playoff uh, and a DS run if Martinez is, you know, together. But there's no way that they're going to be able to beat any of the the better teams in the, the league if he doesn't keep his stuff together. Even if, unless we see the Larry prediction, shout out to Larry, because I'm mentioning him so many times, unless we see that come, the Luke Weaver all-star campaign come together. But if the number one pitcher doesn't emerge, then there's no way. Yeah, and and we'll see how this all shakes out. I, I personally don't think the Cardinals can make uh, the NLCS as a team right now. Obviously, one game in, it's hard to say that. But 
I don't have them projected to get to the NLCS. I think it will take something at the trade deadline to really push the team, and maybe that's an extra starter. Um, does it have to be a number one guy? Possibly. Um, does it have? To, could it be a middle of the rotation guy to make it that much stronger? Uh, that might be the case as well. But who's out there? Who, which p- players are available? And obviously, the biggest name comes up that comes up would be Chris Archer. Um, so that's going to be uh, a really interesting case. But Christian, we've run out of time. It's great talking to you. It's great to have you back with us on the podcast. So we hope to do this again next time. Thank you to all our listeners and to all our readers on RedbirdRants.com. Don't forget next, I think Sunday or Tuesday, we will have episode two of Extra Innings. We do have another special guest lined up, but again, I won't tell you who it is until that day comes around. You'll just have to find out and listen to us. Um, But I can tell you this, it is another St. Louis media member. So we will be talking more Cardinals baseball here coming up soon. Until then, remember the Cardinals do have a game on Saturday against the Mets, and it goes Jacob deGrom versus Michael Waka. So hopefully we can turn it around here and get back on the winning streak here. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening, and go Cards.